if I haven't met you guys yet, my name is Charlie. Uh, I've been serving and helping out with the block for a couple years now at this point. It's my second time being up on stage. The last time uh, that I was here, I shared a picture. I talked about my wife, Carrington, as one of our wedding photos, and I won't do that this time, but fortunately, uh, we did another photo shoot recently, so I think we have that picture. There we are. So we did family pictures uh, with Carrington's side of the family down in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, yeah, so that is Carrington and I with our dog, Winston. Um, Winston is a Bernie Doodle. And Bernie Doodles are supposed to be a lot bigger than that. Uh, he's a mini Bernie Doodle, which is another way to say he's really, really expensive. Um, he is basically, basically a science experiment. I mean, it's not, it's not natural at all. His dad is a 10-pound toy poodle, and his mom is a 78-pound Bernese mountain dog. So at least I'm assuming it was not natural. Uh, if it was, that poodle's got that dog in him. So um, anyways, uh, I talked a little bit last time that I spoke. I talked about... Uh, homeownership and how Carrington and I were trying to figure out uh, how to be <laughs> homeowners. We might need to cut that out. Um, anyways, <laughs> I was talking about homeownership, how we're, we're figuring out how to be homeowners. Um, and so we took a big step in our homeownership. We, we planted a tree recently. So we, I think we have a picture of that as well. Yes, that's me <laughs> after, after the deed was done. Very proud of myself. Um, so yeah, so we, I mean, we did the whole thing. We went to a tree nursery. Uh, that's a thing, apparently. We talked to some people who know a ton, a ton about trees. And uh, they gave us a ton of directions while we were there, too. So they told us, you need to water this 25 minutes a day. It feels very specific. And they're like, you can't water it all the way. Like, the water can't be all the way on. It just needs to be, like, partially on. So it's, it's super specific what the tree needs. There's also like the way that you dig the hole even for the tree. There's a certain hole. You can't just do a normal hole. They have their own, their own thing if you want to do it right. And so we did that. They also told us that we should get root stimulator. It's basically just like Rogaine for tree roots, I think. And so anyways, we get, we get everything we're supposed to, and I'm digging the hole for this tree. And so we get to the bottom of like where the hole is supposed to be, and there's this huge rock there at the beginning. Wasn't there until I get like right to the depth that it's supposed to be, shovel hits rock. So huge bummer. Uh, the rock was really large, so I had to just move the hole over a few feet. And the whole time I'm doing this, I'm just thinking like, it is crazy how dependent this tree is on me and how well I do in doing this. I mean, I don't know what I thought before. I just assumed that trees would be incredibly low maintenance. You just dig a hole, you put it in, that's it. But, I mean, that's how forests are there. Nobody planted those trees. Um, but when you take a tree from a pot, there's, like, certain things that you have to do to keep it alive. It is totally dependent on you because it doesn't have roots yet. And so I start there for a couple reasons. Um, we're talking about this idea of dependence on God tonight. And to do that, we're looking at this illustration that Jesus gives us. And in the illustration, he's actually talking about a plant as well. And it's something that's gonna be really familiar to his disciples, to his audience that he's speaking to. So Michael introed this a little bit, but we're in this series uh, called ID. And so in this series, we're looking at ways that Christians are described in scripture. Specifically, we're looking at the New Testament and what 
are Christians called? What are our IDs? And it's a bunch of different, like, analogies or um, metaphors that we're seeing. And so tonight we're starting with the idea of a branch. And specifically, uh, Jesus describes it as a branch of a vine. And so he says that I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, it's that, this idea of connectedness, but it goes further than that. So Jesus is saying that this idea of connectedness, when we uh, are doing this well, when we are connected with Jesus, it influences us and it actually produces results in our lives. So tonight we want to look at what is true of the person who is abiding, who is connected or remaining with Jesus, and then we also want to look at what is true as a result of this person's life. So to do that, we're going to start in John 15, uh, the scripture that we're spending the majority of our time in tonight, and so feel free to open there if you have a Bible. Uh, if not, I'm going to have the verses on slides on the screen, so feel free to follow along there. And just for context, so we are jumping into this story uh, on the night before Jesus is to be crucified. So him and the disciples have just left. They just left the Last Supper and they're headed to the garden where he's gonna be arrested later this evening. And on the way, likely, they're passing through a vineyard and Jesus stops and we get the following text. So read along with me. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. A vine dresser is just a fancy term for a gardener. In verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So pruning is, is a reference to this process of cutting or trimming vine branches in order that they're going to grow the healthiest grapes in the future, and it's also going to allow for more growth in this next year. Back to the passage in verse 3, he says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. This is a callback to earlier in the night, actually, Jesus is, he can say this to these disciples. There's only 11 of them here at this point. And the 12th one, the one who would betray Jesus, has already left after the Last Supper. And so Jesus can say to the remaining 11, he says, you are clean. You are my genuine disciples. In verse 4, he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, and that if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So join me in prayer for a moment, and then we'll dive in. God, thank you for tonight. Lord, thank you that you are our sustainer, God, that we can be completely dependent on you, Lord, and that you long to do great things uh, through our life, God, that you long to produce results in us. Um, 
Lord, we are, we're thankful for you. God, I pray that the words tonight, God, that your word would be what is lasting. Um, God, anything that is my words, I pray that it would be forgotten. Um, God, I pray for genuine application. God, I pray for understanding of this passage. It's in your name. Amen. So we see two words that get used a lot in the course of this passage. And this first one is abide. And so abide simply, what it means is to remain. And I think just logically true, like if we are remaining in something, it makes sense that we first have to be there, right? So like if I was to say to my friend, hey, I want you to remain as the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, it makes no sense if their name is not Patrick Mahomes. Or Carrington and I, we recently went on a trip to Austin, Texas uh, for a wedding, and we were there, and there's these signs all over Austin, if you've ever been there, and it says, like, keep Austin weird is, like, their phrase. But, like, that doesn't make any sense unless Austin at one point was weird, and honestly, it was really weird while we were there, so they're doing a good job. Um, but we see, so if we're remaining, that means we have to first be there. So if we're remaining in Christ, it follows we need to be in Christ so 1 John 4, 15, it says this. It says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and him with God. So we see this is where abiding starts. Confessing Jesus as the Son of God, it, genuinely, it means that we accept Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross in our place for the forgiveness of sin. And that we acknowledge Jesus as both our Savior so that he died in our place. He took our sin, but also our Lord, meaning we put him in control of our life. In a moment, in that very moment, we move into right relationship with God. We know the ending of the story, and we know that it's going to be greater than we can possibly imagine. We've become completely dependent on God and the sacrifice of Jesus as opposed to how subjectively good that we are. In short, we become a branch connected to the vine. Our view of the world and our view of our own existence at this point shifts. It goes from being us-centered to being God-centered, which is really hard for us to conceptualize, actually. It's like learning when we're young that the sun doesn't orbit the earth, but that the earth orbits the sun. I mean, we didn't figure this out until the Middle Ages because it feels so counter to reality. It feels so counter to what we experience and yet there's enough evidence in some form or another that makes us come to know that it's true. Abiding, it begins here, but it doesn't end here. It's, it is just the beginning. Our dependence on God, it continues to grow. And we see that, that it's not a conditional statement. For the person who is connected and abiding, it will grow and continue. So we see, we, we want to look at tonight um, what is true of this person that is connected to the vine. We want to look at three things, really. What is true of this person who abides? And so we'll talk about the first one. Um, the first one is the person who abides is dependent on God's word. So verse 7 of the passage that we just read says this. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He says, my words abide in you. They remain in you. Think about the thoughts that we have that remain in our head all day. Jesus is saying, let it be my words that remain there. I mean, we want to know the word that well. It's interesting how many people 
that we see that can claim to be abiding, that claim to be branches of the vine, that they're in Christ, and yet they can find themselves saying things like, you know, I just don't really know the word that well, or I, yeah, those books of the Bible, I haven't actually read those. And for the person who claims to be abiding, who claims to be remaining or dependent on Jesus and on ultimately God's word, it feels confusing. Like how do those things square together? And so I wanna encourage you, let's learn what the word has to say. We start with who Jesus is. I mean, you could read all four gospels and you could read the book of Acts, the historical accounts of Jesus and the early church in the same amount of time that it would take for us to read a Harry Potter book. There's really no secret to this. Honestly, the secret starts with our own mentality. The secret is us saying, I have no wisdom, I have no understanding of my own. This world is a minefield and I don't know where the mines are at, but I have a map. I mean, think about how hard we would study a map if we genuinely believed that mines were in front of us and that we were completely dependent on this map to show us the way. I remember elementary school, um, to clarify, I did not have mines at my elementary school, but I remember uh, focusing for spelling tests so hard. Like we would always have these little half sheets of paper. I don't know if anybody else had this and it would have the words that you needed to memorize for the spelling test on there. And I remember like the five minutes before I knew there was gonna be a spelling test, I mean, it is like the most locked in I've ever been in my life. I'm just like hovering over this little half sheet of paper. I'm like, Charlie, you've got to remember these words, like get them in your brain, I before E except for a lot of the time. And, <laughs> and I'm just like trying, I'm doing everything. The answer is really, obviously I should have studied in advance. But in that moment, I wanted so badly to remember the spelling for the words to remain in my head. And I think to myself, I'm like, why do I not feel the same way about scripture? And I hope to grow in that. Jesus is the perfect example for us on how to abide. And he says about the word, he shows the importance in Matthew 4.4. Jesus says this, He's quoting from earlier in scripture from the Old Testament actually, and he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We treat God's word like we're dependent on it because we are. The second thing that's true of the person who abides is that they constantly and they consistently rely on God in prayer. I mean, is there a better way to remain with Jesus than to speak with him? Verse seven, that that same verse that we were just looking at about the word, if we put it back up, it says at the end, it says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I mean, that is a bold statement there. To break down a little bit even of what that means, um, my company that I work for, they gave me a company card. I'm not trying to brag, it's just a thing. They gave me a company card. But if I, I mean, it has a limit on it. Like the limit is not huge. I don't know what it is. Maybe a few hundred, maybe a thousand dollars, I have no idea, but I do know that if I was to rise up through the ranks of the company that I might, if I get to a director level, a partner level, I become, you know, a C-level person at this company, the limit on this credit card would go up and up and up, and there's reasons for this. Obviously, one is I might be making purchases that are bigger than I would have in my position right now, obviously, but the other one is that as, as I become more and more embedded and engaged 
in this company, they trust me more because my interests are ultimately aligned with theirs. If I'm at a C-level position, I have stock, they know, they're, they're saying, hey, do what you need to do to be successful because I know that you have the best interests of the firm in mind. In the same way, God's given us this blank check in this verse, but he gives it, you see even in the first part of that verse, he gives it to the one who remains in him, the one who depends on his word because their interests are aligned. They know God's promises and they claim them. In every prayer and ask of God, they know that he gives greater gifts than we can ask for. And their ultimate desire is that God would be glorified in every situation and he's gonna deliver on that every time. Jesus, again, models this well. He tells the disciples how to pray in, in Matthew 6. He begins it, he says, our Father who art in heaven. So he models prayer as a couple things. He models it, one, as an intimate connection. He says, our Father, in his approach to it. And then he also acknowledges our dependence on God when he says, who art in heaven. God is outside, he's above this world, and we are reliant on him. We also see another thing about the way that Jesus prays. Jesus would also pray often alone. It says he would rise early in the morning and he would go to be by himself. How often do we sit before God in silence? Do we take time that is dedicated for that? Just sit there. And yet at the same time, we would say, I never hear from God. There's a story of a, a man from the 1920s who worked in a factory and he had this watch that was from his father. His father had passed away and so he loved this watch. It meant so much to him. And one day he, he lost the watch on the factory floor. And I mean, there's men everywhere, machines everywhere, smoke, steam. There's no chance that he's gonna find this thing. And so his coworkers are even giving him their condolences, like telling him they're so sorry that he had lost it because they know there's just no chance. And yet the coworkers leave, they come back the next day and there's the man standing there, grinning, holding the watch. And they ask him, they're like, how on earth did you find this thing? And he tells them, he says, I waited until everybody left. So they shut all the machines down. They even turned off the lights. So there was no buzz from the electricity. And I just laid on the ground and I listened. And eventually I heard tick, 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 tick. And so I moved closer to it. And I did this over and over until I found the watch. Do we ever sit and listen for God's guidance? So the third thing uh, that is true of a person who abides is that they remain in Christ's love. So Jesus tells us how to do this. He tells us in verse 10, and it's, it's almost painfully straightforward. He says, if, so it is conditional. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus speaks with authority on this because he's done it. He has obeyed the Father's commandments and actually the next day would be the pinnacle of his obedience as he would die on the cross. The disciples didn't even know that yet at the time. Uh, Jesus, he doubles down on this idea further um, when he says in 1 John 2, 4 through 6, he says this, and this is a hard passage to read. Um, 
And this is, sorry, this is John writing in 1 John 2, 4 through 6. He says, whoever says, I know him, talking about Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. He's saying when you view the word as we ought to, and we do what it says, uh, we know Jesus. We experience the goodness and the love of Christ. So many of us will say, I, I just don't feel it. Or if we're reading the Bible and we're attempting to pray, and we just feel like something is missing or we're waiting on something to click, oftentimes the issue is obedience. We can't know Christ without obeying so my wife, uh, Carrington, is a total rule follower. It's just how she is by nature. I am not that way at all. We joke that we would have hated each other probably in high school, but honestly, I think we would have ended up dating because she's attractive, so I would have been interested, obviously, and she would have wanted to fix me. So um, I think it would have worked, uh, which if, that need, if it needs to be said out loud, that's a, that's a horrible idea. Don't do that. Um, but she's a total rule follower. But there's one example of a time that she wasn't, which was, uh, it was, it was interesting. So we were repainting, we're refinishing the surface uh, of, our, of our deck. There was this bar that we have out there. And so we're redoing that, and we had this, like, degreaser stuff. And so we were about to use it and put it down. We're just, like, spraying it out of a spray bottle, you know, so it's going, it's going wherever it wants to go. And I asked Carrington as we're about to spray it, I'm like, is it okay? Like, should we have goggles on and gloves? Because it feels like this stuff is not the best for you. And she looks at me, and I can kind of tell in her face that she hadn't really thought about it, but she was like, no, it's fine. Like, we're good. And I was like, okay. And so then we, like, get through it, and we're basically all the way done. And then I'm like, you know, we should really check that bottle and see what it says. And sure enough, we go to the bottle and is like, absolutely under no circumstances should you use this without eye protection, without gloves on. And it like lists out all of the like potential complications. We're on WebMD, like what do we do? Like what, what happened? I'm like, you know, my eyes are starting to feel weird now. And now that we've done this. Uh, but it was, it was so unlike her, but we, Obviously, we would have handled that differently had we understood the importance of it. Like, I, we, we guaranteed would have taken the rule so much more seriously. And I think sometimes in the same way, we don't understand the importance of Scripture. We don't understand the obedience of abiding by it and the good that is offered. If we live genuinely in dependence on Jesus Christ, we read the word because it's our guide in life. We rely on prayer to claim the promises that are given to us and to draw near and listen to God. And we obey the commandments that he's given us because he's given them for our good. So in this dependence, this abiding, God has promised us that we will bear fruit. And so that's the, really the next portion of this talk is talking about the results. And that is essentially what fruit means. It's the results. So first, what is the idea? Like, like we said, fruit means result, and we know from reading this passage, we know if we abide, there is fruit. So fruit in Scripture, it refers to a lot of different things, but for the sake of ease, I'm going to divide it into just two 
categories. So there's internal fruit and there's external fruit. So we're going to start with internal. So this is what is true of our person, our feelings, or character that results from abiding in God. And so a verse that explains this really well is in Galatians chapter 5. It's verses 22 and 23, and it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, being full of faith or faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. On first glance, we might ask the question, um, or just be thinking to ourselves, I know I would, like, couldn't these things be true of someone who is not a believer as well? I mean, they sound Christian-y, obviously, but, I, like, I'm sure there's people who come to mind for all of us that's like, yeah, this person is not a Christian, and there's still, like, several of these things that I feel like they embody. Um, and it, this gets even more interesting and complicated and hard to sort out when we see these verses from John 15. So it's verses four and five, four and five. And Jesus says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He adds a step further in verse five. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And this is the kicker. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So how do we square this person maybe that, that came to mind in our heads and what Jesus is saying about the reality of it here. I think we get at least a, a partial answer to this question in uh, Luke chapter six. I don't have this on the slide, so just listen along with me. Jesus says in Luke six, he says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great. So Jesus here in Luke 6, he makes the case that there's nothing particularly special about doing good. Like obviously those things that are being done, even if it's by the person who is not a believer, like it is still true that those things are good things. But just because they're good things doesn't mean that they're of God. See, we see that this is our, our fruit, our character and our good that comes from our lives that would not be true of us if we were not a follower of Jesus Christ. That is our genuine fruit. So I would challenge us all to, to ask ourselves the question of what what do we do? What is true of our lives that is uniquely Christian? What is true of your life that would not be the case if you were just a moral non-believer? And whatever that is, that is your fruit. It's not less than the world, but it's all that the world would view it as and more. We obviously should love those who love us and all of the other examples there, but even in that, it comes from a different place. It comes from the true vine of Jesus Christ. So that's internal fruit. Uh, external fruit is discussed as well. And so to get an idea of what is meant by external fruit, we can start at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. So Genesis 1, 28, the first part of that, pass, or of that verse, it says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So obviously here, God is talking about 
physically be fruitful and multiply. But we can see like this same metaphor, this same message is true all the way throughout scripture in a spiritual sense as well. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it's one of the last things actually that Jesus says to the disciples before he's no longer with them. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, he, he also gives us motivation for external fruit even here in John 15. Um, he says in verses two and six, he says in verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, meaning God takes away and removes And in verse 6, he said, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. There are so many in America, companies that we work for in our families and in this room tonight who have not genuinely confessed Jesus as the Son of God, who don't abide And when you look at their life and you ask, what is the fruit that is there as a result of genuine dependence on God? There is none. It's a difficult truth, and it should be painful for us to think about. It It is hard to wrap our heads around. But we do take comfort in the fact that the one who spoke the most harshly about separation from God and hell is the same person that died so that you don't have to go there. I think we all have questions about not bearing fruit. If we answered that question earlier of what is true of your life that is is a result of a genuine connection with Jesus, that wouldn't be true of you if you're just a moral non-believer. And you answered that there is none. I think there's a few reasons for that that could be. So the first reason is that you aren't connected to the vine. So this this connection never began because you haven't genuinely confessed Jesus as Lord. I think the second thing that it could be is an obedience problem in your life. Your actions don't reflect dependence on God. So maybe you made that commitment initially and said, you know, my life is dependent on God. And even if it was genuine, there is sin that is in your life that blocks you from the love of God that you haven't dealt with or aren't actively seeking to rid from your life. Not that we are perfect to experience the love of God, but there is a direction that we are headed and we're actively trying to get sin out of our lives. And the third, um, if maybe there was fruit in your life in a period of time, and yet you feel like lately there isn't as much, uh, lately you're in a dry season, you're striving to walk in obedience, you're confessing sin, you're on the right direction in terms of obedience, but you still are finding fruitlessness. It could be possible that you are being pruned. So in John 15, verse two, in the second half of it, it says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it will bear more fruit. So this happened uh, last night. I am at Panera and I'm finishing things up for the talk and his family sits down next to me and I can tell they're Christians, they pray before the start 
of their meal, and I can't totally hear everything, but I can hear his one uh, little girl up there as they had three kids, and it, I can hear... I kept hearing this one little girl up there is like acting up and the parents trying gently and nicely to tell her to stop or to get herself under control. And eventually the dad looks at her and he's completely calm while he says this. And he says, here's what's going to happen. And I was like, man, I could like tell something's about to go down. So I like, I have my AirPods in, you know, that little setting where you can then like hear everything around you. I'm like, let's tune into this. Like, I wonder what, <laughs> what's going on. And he says this, he says, uh, he says to the little girl, mom and dad are going to choose what you wear, and they're going to choose what you eat for a week. And this, like, five-year-old girl, it's amazing what is devastating to a five-year-old, <laughs> but this five-year-old girl starts freaking out. You can, like, hear it immediately, but he says this after. He says, you are having trouble understanding how good we are to you, and so we are going to show you that we are good. See, she needed to realize that she is absolutely dependent on her parents for the freedoms that she gets and that they have her best interests in mind. They want nothing more for her to grow and grow in her freedoms and in her joy that she experiences through that. And in the same way, our Father wants to use hard things in our lives to teach us the same when we're being pruned. And I don't mean to trivialize the things that we could be going through. Um, I know that it is is an easy comparison to say you don't understand the things that I have walked through. But the message from God is the same in it. And the purpose is to strengthen our dependence on him and so that ultimately we would bear more fruit. Jesus gives us the why behind all of these things in verse 11, and we'll close with this, John 15, 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So I'll pray, and then we'll welcome up the band. Lord, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for the gift that we get to depend on you. God, that you are the true vine, and that life comes from you. God, there are so many places today that we are trying to, that I can look to to try to get life, and Lord, there is nowhere that it comes from except from you, the true vine. Lord, I pray that you would produce through us genuine fruit, God, that we would be able to look back years from now and we would see all of the ways that you have changed us, that you have produced result in our life. God, not because of what we have done, but because we have chosen to remain in you. We have chosen to depend on you. Lord, I pray that there would be application tonight, Lord, that there would be men and women who desire to remain with you in a deeper way. So I pray that that would be true in your name. Amen.